is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank that. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree <laughs> on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergeff. Hey, thanks for joining us on the podcast once again today. Joining us uh, from the Twin Cities via the telephone is Alan Horton. He is the voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, whose season did come to a close uh, last Friday night uh, when they were knocked out in the first round by uh, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Alan, and you know, Denver wasn't getting a lot of play before the playoffs began of, you know, the prognosticators, the talking heads who make predictions. Not a lot were picking Denver. They look awful good to me. They did look really good, um, especially the first three games in which they won over the Timberwolves. I thought the Wolves did a much better job the last two games, and mm-hmm. uh, they won one of them and, uh, you know, could have come out with a win uh, in that uh, in that last meeting. And, um, you know, the, the reason probably nobody's really picking them is nobody's been able to see these games. I mean, the, right. that first series on the East Coast didn't start before 10 o'clock at night in any of the games. It was just crazy how late those games were. Uh, but that's what happens when you're not the most popular or biggest market or have the biggest names, uh, even though you could argue that Nikola Jokic, the, uh, yeah. you know, he was in the running for three-time MVP. doesn't sound like he's going to get this one, but, uh, you know, nothing could – he couldn't care less about that. But, um, you know, when you're going up against the Lakers and Grizzlies, Golden State, Sacramento, even Phoenix against the L.A. Clippers, um, those, those matchups have a little more draw than Wolves and, and Nuggets, and – you know, I think that the TV executives who make those decisions probably were justified, too, because you look at it was basically a gentleman sweep of Denver over Minnesota, just like just like Houston did to the Wolves, you know, back in 2018. And it wasn't that competitive a series, but I would argue the last two games were pretty darn good. Uh, but that's all a long way of saying that, uh, yeah, Denver's really good and they've proven it in these first two games against Phoenix. They have looked, uh, they've looked, they've looked really good. I've been surprised at how the Suns have struggled in these first two games yeah. um, because the Wolves certainly looked better than the Suns have in these first two, at least in the last two meetings the Wolves had with, with Denver. You know, when you talk about guys in the NBA and you say there's no real matchup for them, they're going to get there, as Kevin Durant has long been talked about in, in that regard. But I haven't heard Nikola Jokic. How do you stop the guy? I mean, he's gigantic, and, and everything he does is technically correct. He does everything he well. Yeah, and he, you know, even guys like Kevin Durant or Devin Booker, pick your, you know, your 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 wing guard that's so dynamic and so good. Um, even they can have bad shooting nights and and they cannot get into a rhythm. But when you're a big man and you can get into the paint as frequently as Jokic does, and when you've got his kind of talent, he's going to be consistent. He's going to be the more consistent uh, scorer. Um, there were only three games in the regular season, Todd, that he didn't shoot 50 percent or better from the field. Oh, I mean, wow. it's just amazing to speak of his shooting touch, whether it's at the rim, from that floater range, from the mid-range, um, even his three-point shooting, he's, you know, you dare him to shoot because that's, quite frankly, a better option. And some of the numbers indicate that when he shoots five or more threes in a game, uh, which the Wolves allowed him, got him to do once, that's the game they won. You want him scoring a lot. You want him taking a lot of threes. Uh, they're one in seven when, when he shoots five or more threes in a game. That's not really their strength, and I think that shows up in that record. But the problem is it's hard to get him to shoot that many. You know, they're so efficient offensively, and they've been really good in this postseason. You know, the offense runs through him. You know, throw him the ball. He pivots yeah. and looks. He finds the open man. He finds those little passes that, that people don't see. I mean, 
he has as good a court vision as anybody in the league. Look, if you love basketball, you love watching Nikola Jokic because yep. that that you you then appreciate the way he plays, and he's got this. He doesn't have this me first mentality that maybe a lot of players do um, across the league and coming up through the AAU system. And he grew up. Uh, he firmly believes one of his famous quotes is: "Passing makes two people happy; scoring mm-hmm. makes one person happy." That's that's kind of his philosophy. And I asked Chris Finch about that because Chris Finch was there when they turned over the keys to their offense. Uh, to Nikola Jokic. They got rid of Yusuf Nurkic and traded him within the division to Portland, which was controversial at the time, but they've been running through Jokic ever since, and guess what? They've had a top-10 offense for seven straight years while they've done that with Jokic. And so, um, to me, uh, you know, he plays the game the right way. He's fun to watch. Um, It's amazing that on a confined uh, space, you know, 94 feet by whatever, how wide the court is, that he sees things that other players just can't even see. I mean, it's, it's amazing um, some of the passes that he makes and the easy back at the baskets that he gets his teammates. And it's no surprise that guys like Aaron Gordon, guys like Contavious Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, um, role players are, are having career years because he makes people better um, and he forces them to play the game the right way. You cut back door, he's going to find you. He's going to reward you with easy shots at the rim. And Jamal Murray, not one of those role players. He he's a you know no. a top flight player, but he has really elevated his game uh, in the playoffs throughout his career. You know they talk about playoff Jimmy with Jimmy Butler. You know it's playoff Jamal Murray too. Yeah, we just haven't seen it in a long time. And mm-hmm. um, he's missed the last two postseasons, and the one before that was, you know, kind of comes with an asterisk. A lot of weird things happen in that bubble postseason. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, he certainly you get credit for putting up those fifty point games and having that. Uh, incredible shootout with the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell, but the bubble was a little bit different. But he has certainly shown something in the postseason uh, to me because we saw him up close and personal for five games, and now these two games against the Suns. Um, he he is he's every bit as good as some of the top guards in the NBA. I mean, he's just he's got the handle, he's got the shot, he's got the shot creation. Um, his two man game with Jokic is is really impressive. Um, he had that 40-point game against the Timberwolves. I actually thought they did a pretty good job against him the last two or three games uh, when they put a designated Canadian stopper uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker on him because uh, Walker had that great – Alexander-Walker had that great series against Jamal Murray and also against Shea Gilgis-Alexander, two guys who hail from, hail from Canada just like <laughs> he does. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something about that matchup against yeah. Canadian guys, but whatever, it, it works. But uh, Jamal Murray is sensational. And yeah. just, you know, that Denver offense, I, I kept waiting for Phoenix to get going, but you can never get going when you can't stop the other team from scoring. They were yeah. just getting points, high percentage looks, or they're getting to the free throw line. And on the rare miss that they were forcing, uh, Phoenix couldn't convert at the other end. Denver's defense has been has been better than their regular season defense, which was only sort of middle of the pack. I think they finished up 17th in defense. Watching that game last night with Denver uh, involved, what a physical game. Uh, it does keep the scoring down when, when the playoffs get so much more physical. Yeah, and you can just tell by looking at Jokic's arms, right? I mean, he's got these scrapes and cuts and uh, wounds from, from out throughout the regular season. Um, on both of his arms, he gets scraped and clutched and grabbed and cut. Um, it's just routine for him. But, no, it, there's no doubt it gets physical. Um, teams aren't going to allow you to get an easy bucket when they can stop you and make you earn it at the free throw line. So um, you're going to get some hard fouls. You're going to get physical type play. You're going to get 
lots of complaining about from both sides on, on, on how the refs call the game. And the refs are trying to toe that line between having an enjoyable product to watch and having some momentum and flow to a game versus calling a foul every trip down the floor. So, um, you know, Denver, I noticed in the series against the Wolves is that, boy, even when they were up big in games, they complained on every single call. They were relentless on that. Um, almost to the point of annoying, especially when you're up by 30. Guess what? You're not going to get every call. Yeah. The refs know the time and score. They, you know, you're up by this many points. Just, just settle down and relax, and let's get to the finish line. You're going to win this one. But um, it, it, it is. There's no doubt. Playoff basketball is a more intense, more physical version of what we see in the regular season. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard it said that uh, players make their money in the regular season, but they make their name in the postseason. And it seemed like Anthony Edwards really started to come along in that regard. After struggling a bit in the play-in, uh, he was terrific in the games against Denver. He was, and he was terrific last year against Memphis, too, which is a really great sign. A, that you know he's made it to the postseason in two of his first three years, and that he's risen to the opportunity. And, and Todd, he's had these plays, too, which are just... They're big-time play. When you make a game-changing play in a playoff game, I mean, that, that's rising to the occasion. I think of his, um, you know, he had that track-down block um, of, I think it was Contavious Caldwell-Pope in game, it was at home game. I think it was in game three or game four. But, you know, the game was slipping away, and he made that block. It led to a little 4-0 Timberwolves run probably the most, uh, most rambunctious crowd I've ever seen for a 4-0 run. Uh, but that, those are big-time plays. And his, some of his shot-making in the, in the Memphis series, remember he tied the game off an inbound uh, in Game 5. And, of course, he, he had the blunder defensively right after that. But he has risen to the occasion more times than not um, in the postseason, and that's, and that's what you want to see. I just saw a graph. Um, you know, NBA math is something you can follow on on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They put out a graph that has you know your points added uh, offensively and points saved defensively. And if you graph the Timberwolves players, uh, you know Anthony Edwards was in the far right corner by a long stretch, and that's mm-hmm. where you want to be. That's where you're adding things offensively and subtracting things defensively. And most of the rest of the team was kind of huddled right around where the the, the the middle of that graph, right at the intersection of those offensive and defensive uh, prowess. Um, and Anthony Edwards was off on his own in, in a really good area. Um, it's a great sign, and it's a great sign that he's not pleased just to get here. I love some of the things that Ant said during the postseason about, hey, someone called him a young star. He's like, I don't think I'm a young star. I haven't done anything. I haven't gotten out of the first round. Um, you know, he, his team just avoided getting swept. That's nothing to celebrate. He wants he wants to win, um, and, and he's got his – I think he's got his sights set on – you know, making a deep run of the postseason, and he's got his priorities in straight when, when you say things like that because yeah. um, his actions kind of back that up. Yeah, no doubt, and and does appear to be uh, kind of that, that magnetic personality that can be a real team leader and an alpha dog. And, you know, it helps that Carl Anthony Towns is a generous teammate, it seems. He's willing to give the ball up. He's willing to accept other players in who maybe uh, want shots. It, it seems like he would be a pretty good teammate. Well, and I think Ant's recognized that because Cat struggled once again in the postseason, and um, you know Ant was one that that, that said after the can't even remember what games they all are now. They all kind of blend together, but mm-hmm. at one point he went over to Cat's house the night before a game, and they kind of chatted and talked. And you know, I think Ant recognizes and Cat recognizes that you know you can't do this all on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, sometimes in the NBA, I think of Russell Westbrook, right? Like mm-hmm. you had Harden, you had Durant, you had Westbrook. They made it to a finals. Um, and then without Harden, those two struggled to get back. And then without Durant, you know, you get what you want, right? Russell's got the ball in his hands. He's making every decision. It's his team. James Harden had the same thing in Houston. It's his team. But, you know, you can put up all the stats you want. Uh, it's about winning games and winning games in the postseason. That doesn't happen unless you have a balanced attack. And I think both those guys realize that, um, you know, they, they, you, you have to be more. And I think Ant kind of learned this after the All-Star break. I think he put some pressure on himself to kind of carry the team mm-hmm. when we were still waiting for, for Towns to get back. Um, but as soon as he kind of, hey, let's, let's get everybody else involved. I need some help. Let's let my teammates help me. All of a sudden you do that, and all of a sudden you become a dangerous team because now, now you're tougher to guard. You're not one-dimensional. You're, you've got, you've got uh, five or six other teammates helping you out, and they're starting to play better. They're, they're empowered by um, your decision-making and, and getting them the basketball. And, um, so I, I, think, I think both those guys, Ant and Cat, recognize that, that they need each other and they need, they need everyone on the team. And that, that, That's the biggest thing that you take away from this postseason is what could have been had you had Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels and then Kyle Anderson uh, lost for that last game with an eye injury. And, and, and you wonder what, what, you know, could this team be, you know, been in a different place? Could they, should they have been in a different place regardless of Cat's injury? Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it unfortunately is a season that you kind of look back at and you just wonder, well, what if? Yeah, and, and maybe they'll try and answer those what-ifs by running back uh, pretty much a roster intact as much as they can. There's always roster turnover each offseason, but it would seem as though the key players are all going to be back. Yeah, I mean, you've got most of these guys under contract, and mm-hmm. um, you've got Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels on the rise. You're already paying, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. Unless, you really, unless you're going to blow things up and change completely again, and I say again because I think you did add a huge piece and uproot things with, with Rudy Gobert coming in last last summer to to mixed degrees of success. Um, you know, I think their expectations were high after you got Rudy, and they probably, you know, where the Timberwolves finished up, even including the 53 games that Towns missed with a calf injury, um, you probably fell short of the expectations that were set when you acquired Gobert. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I would expect one, one thing that's just, you know, you just, you don't want continuity for continuity's sake. If you're not good, you don't want to keep things status quo. Yep. But there is something to be said by, you know, guys playing together. And I just, you know, you go back to what made Utah successful with Rudy Gobert, and, and I talked to Mike Conley a bunch about this, is just the continuity that they had in the chemistry, which took time to develop. You can't just throw guys together. And this thing got off to a bad start right from training camp. When they acquired Rudy Gobert, you know, in the summer, um, he spent zero time with the team. He was getting his off-season set, and he was getting prepared to represent France in uh, you know whatever tournaments they had. I don't even know if it's the World Cup mm-hmm. or qualifying or what was going on. Eurobasket, who knows? Anyway, he showed up at training camp, and no, you know he was not comfortable with his teammates. His teammates weren't comfortable with him. Uh, then you had Cat uh, coming in and not being. You know they had like a, four practices together the entire entire training camp and preseason they played one game together had like 12 minutes together on the floor that's no way to start the season and you saw the mixed results early on when those two and, and it's really it's more than just cat and gobert it's really the starting five it's it was at the time d'angelo russell uh Jaden mcdaniel's playing a new position anthony edwards all trying to come together 
Um, and it was really a mixed bag of results early on before Cat went down with the injury. And then you go the next four months and don't have Cat available. So now, you know, you just you don't have the kind of sample size you would want. But I think we did see some enough stuff down the stretch to know that those guys can work together. But it's going to take time. And Mike Conley talked about when he came to Utah, it took a half season just to figure out how to run something as small as the pick and roll with Rudy, when to give him the ball, how to give him the ball, mm-hmm. how to set up, how does he like it, how does, how can I be successful in this, how can he be successful in this, how can our team be successful in this. Um, that, that took time, and so part of me wants to see them run it back because I, I would have mm-hmm. liked to seen uh, the Wolves run it back from two years ago when they had, you know, they played a great second half of the season but made the decision that, you know, hey, we got to change things up. Gobert's available, we got to do this. Um, I would have loved to seen that team, for the most part, come back and see if they could stretch that out for an entire season. Because guess what? Even though they lost in the first round of Memphis two years ago, had the Wolves been the team that finished up the year after January at, let's see, they went, uh, I can't remember, 36, no, 32 and 12, uh, 36 and 16, something like that, mm-hmm. um, over the final you know, 46 games of the year, or whatever that number totals out to, you stretch that, extrapolate that over a full season, and now you're talking about being the number four seed. Yeah. Then you're at home field. You have home court advantage. Now you're not facing Memphis. You're facing somebody else. Um, I would have loved to have seen that. But, you know, you know, that's what you're always trying to balance is, like, can I, can I add to it? I'm going to change things up but by adding to it. Is it going to be better than what it was? Um, and, I, and I, again, I think you come away thinking mixed results after what the Wolves went through this year. The guy who pulled the trigger on that, Tim Connolly, has been rumored that he might want to go back home to Washington. Is that even a possibility? I guess it's, anything is a possibility. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. And uh, that was rumored a few years ago that Washington was hot on his heels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's from that area. He's great ties to the Wizards. He's worked for them before. Um, I, I've, I, I find it almost extremely hard to believe that that would be the case, that after one year of coming to the Timberwolves and getting – uh, getting the deal that he got from Mark Lurie and Alex Rodriguez that that he would jump ship and go to Washington unless I you know unless something forced him to go there maybe they maybe the ownership has not been impressed with you know it's really it's way too small of a sample size I think mm-hmm. um, to to warrant him jumping or the Timberwolves losing faith in what he's doing um, so I, I I've put very little to no stock in any of those rumors. Very good. I'm glad you're saying that because I'd like to see him stay and finish the job, hopefully. Alan, thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Todd. Alan Horton, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. On the Todd and Friends podcast, it's brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at kwlm, 1340 a.m. and 96.3 FM.